Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's more than just a movie club. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle, and I'm your alpha host. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. No no designator? You're cool, you know? Just, yeah. That's, that's fine? I know you You thought heard, about it. I heard I, your pause. I thought about it. Well, I thought about it because I know what you say, and then I say something after that, and you talked more than I thought, so I had to stop myself. <laughs> and then on top of it, I'm like... Uh, I have too many opinions to to talk about it. It's like one of those things that like I have to really unpack if I have the time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is this even worth my effort? And I'm like, like, you know, I don't. I do not have the time. So We all definitely have that friend that like when they start going off on a tangent, somebody goes in to stop them and you have to go in and be like, no, no, they have to work through this. You know, yeah. don't don't stop them. They... <laughs> If they do not reach the end, they will combust. Yeah, and uh, and there's usually things you can just mention. And here's the thing. I didn't even realize that was one of my things until you said that. And I'm like, oh, I guess I have another thing. I have another thing <laughs> that when people bring up, I have to be like, oh, yeah, Alex, this is the one thing you shouldn't be talking to people about. Because it's like, it's not a conversation. It's I have about six minutes of material of me just like not liking it. And you don't get to share your opinion. Because mine is right, you know? <laughs> it's just mine is right. So um, it's just not fun for anybody if I if I interact like that. So And um, it's that same deal of just kind of like, if I bring this up, I'm going to be in this conversation longer than I want to be. And it's easier to just let them feel like they're right so I can leave this conversation sooner. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're joking. Obviously. Um. If you I mean, I weren't it's that obvious, but okay. If you weren't, dude, <laughs> we would have. This podcast would have been three hours long. It would have been three hours long. And then here's the thing: <laughs> I, I know the people who honestly think that you can't change their mind. You can't do it. Um, and and uh, you know, we live in a society. You know, <laughs> we do. Hey, at the end of the day, never forget that we live in a society. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, yeah, we what a lot to talk are about. we watching this week? All right. Wrapping up the final week of my How Have You Not Seen This? We're watching Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Um, as a Tarantino fan, it is crazy. I haven't seen this. This came the they came out in 2003 and 2004. So it was a little early for me, but it also means I had so long to catch up. Like I've had the same thing with Raging Bull is like it's Scorsese. I've had forever to watch that movie and I just never get around to it. And this is one of those times where I'm like, it's iconic. I don't know anyone who doesn't like these movies. Like no one says these are bad movies. They might be like, oh, it's not for me or it's like too much gore, too much violence. But nobody dislikes these movies. So it only made sense that we end the month with these. But if you don't want to hear us talk about these movies in any way, shape, or form, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code, 34 minutes, 5 seconds. So the first thing that I want to get out of the way when we talk about this movie, these movies, is that exact premise. Is Quentin Tarantino is on record for saying that he does not view these as two separate movies. They are one long movie. And he is the Artur. He is the director. He is the entire creative force behind this movie. 
That being said, these are two separate movies. Yes. <laughs> the the arc, I don't even want to say the arc is the same. It's just like these movies have all of the same characters and the first one doesn't feel finished when you finish it. And then you start a second movie and you're like, uh, this is definitely a second movie. <laughs> yeah. So to really put it into perspective, like I'm I'm fast forwarding a lot here, but um Kill Bill Volume One is like if I were to imagine this is how the conversation went down, is Tarantino was able to make an incredibly um artistic, self-referential stylized like he got to put whatever he wanted into kill bill volume one and then the studio sat him down and they said okay you've had your fun can you please make a real movie now yeah they're like listen we let you do your whole kung fu thing now can we have character arcs and monologues and you know plot development or is this whole thing just going to be death note or are we literally just going to be checking off people checking off a list of people for Five hours? <laughs> like, we let you do it for the first movie. Something else has to happen in the second movie. I, I believe, like, the script didn't change much from what he originally planned. The screenplay didn't change much. But the tone is different. Yeah. And it is noticeable It almost before instantly. Like, whatever comes before instantly, that's how quickly you notice the tone is different. Yeah. And I... I don't know. Did you, how did you approach this? We both watched these back to back the same night. I approached Kill Bill volume one with the mindset I should have approached volume two. And then I approached volume two with the mindset I was, I had taken away from volume one, if that makes sense. I'm going to need you to elaborate a little further. Yeah. So I didn't know that volume one was going to be as campy as it is. Yeah. And so. And so when it was that campy, I'm like, awesome, sick. Can't wait to watch another movie of cool action like this. And then I load up the second movie, and it's not that. And I'm like, oh. So I had to shift. It took me a long time to shift my perspective in the second movie based on the expectation that I was given in the first one. That's the most succinct way to say it. Yeah, so I didn't know anything about these movies. I know... There's lots of violence and that Uma Thurman's in it. That's it. Oh, and the, her yellow suit. But that's like, that's, that's all I knew. Um, But I also know a lot about Tarantino. And I knew he worked in a video store. I know he loves B-movies. Loves them. Blockbusters are whatever to him. He loves B-movies. And I'm like, oh, him making a kung fu movie, like all the other ones that came before it, makes sense. Um, So I understood the first movie. The second movie, I lit like kind of how you approached it i thought it was just going to be more of that um but i'm not upset with what the second one did i just like i wish i could have gone in blind with the second movie like i did with the first movie sure um to really understand um the tone that we're talking about is i'm sure you if you haven't heard it just like through the zeitgeist You've definitely heard it on TikTok of that song that's like, that, that is not only is that from this movie, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it was a song originally, but like this song, like, or this movie uses that song heavily. It is 
the opening song to the movie. It is how this movie starts is with that song. So imagine an entire movie with just like that tone. Um, like, and, and like I said, volume one takes a lot of, I don't want to say artistic risks, but it's unique in a lot of ways. Um, like there's like a 10 minute animated sequence, like at the end of the first act, that's just like an exposition dump. It's like, okay, we have to do a lot of exposition, um, in order to not make it boring. Let's make it super animated with a really cool style. And this movie did a really good job at um, having a kind of tone to when that happened, it didn't feel out of place despite the drastic shift that it had taken. I was so surprised that happened because I'm like, that's very common for now. If that happened now, there would be no one would bat an eye. It would be no big deal. Having it happen back then, it fits what this movie could have done. So like it wasn't that surprising that way. Like it felt natural. But at the same time, I'm like, this movie had to be one of the first to ever do this. It was so cool thinking like, oh, now when I see movies who have done it after this, post-2003, this is what they're referencing. Yeah. It, um, was, it was a sweet move. It was a sweet move. This one is definitely more popcorn-y than yes. um, volume two. Like, if we were to break it down, like, this one is, like, maybe the most moviest Tarantino movie. Um, and yeah. then volume two pulls it back a little bit. Like, um, volume one is a movie. This is going to sound derivative, but this is not a critique. This is the kind of movie that you can kind of have on while you're cleaning your house and watch all the sick fight scenes as they come up. Right. Like you don't have um, to be super concerned with it. If we give you the plot summary, you no longer have to listen to dialogue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, with that being said, the conceit of both of these movies is that Uma Thurman plays a character whose name that we do learn in Volume 2, but is colloquially referred to as The Bride. Um, she was a she used to work for this group of assassins, and on the day of her wedding, she got assassinated, or there was an assassination attempt. And so, she was put in a coma for four years... She was pregnant at the time. She thought she lost the baby. And so when she wakes up from the coma, she goes on a one-woman revenge arc. And that's the movie. That's yep. the movie. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Um, <laughs> so to kind of tie, I don't really think there's a lot to talk about volume one in the scheme of it all, in the way that we talk about movies, um, other than to say that, like, if you want a very well-made, a very well-respected and like, and when I mean well respected, I mean like respects the history that came before this movie. Like Alex said, it this pays movie homage is, to the movies that have come before it. Homage. Like the both of these movies, but this one specifically, really lets Tarantino nerd out on film history. Um, and it shows the cinematography is really cool. The way they do gore and blood is like really cool. I liked how they did it a lot in this movie. Um, so if you want just a movie that is actiony and you don't want to commit to the second volume, you don't have to, this yeah. movie is like, you know, kind of, it's not like open and shut. Like you, you're not going to get closure on the story, but you will have a good time with this movie. Yeah. It's like John Wick with samurai swords, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
this was not my genre. I'm not a huge fan of kung fu movies, but also like they are have been resigned to B movies, low budget, no stars in them forever. Um, so the fact that like you can have a super famous and respected and talented director take a shot at it, I'm like, oh, this is the best case scenario for the genre. This movie is to kung fu movies kind of like how Django is to westerns. It's a guy who watched a whole bunch of them says, I'm going to make it just in my own style. So like it is freaking sick, dude. It is sick. Um, Even if you don't like the genre like I did and I'm like, you got to give it up. It is extremely well done um, for what it is. It's not going to be for everybody, um, but it, it is extremely well done. Yeah. So I'm going to give this one a seven and a quarter. And I, again, this is one of those things where the number doesn't really reflect. It feels weird compared to what I just said. But like, it, it, like I said, like it didn't really change my life. It is a cool action movie. Um, and there are some things that Tarantino does as a filmmaker to like elevate that. Um, but it's not like a 10 out of 10 for me. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I give it a seven and a half. Yeah. Like it's great for what it is so great for what it is. But like, I it's not for me. It's not a perfect, well-rounded movie. It's the it's it's a it's a legend playing with a handicap, bro. And this is the best he could do with what he had. I don't think kung fu movies are designed to be perfect movies. I feel like they're a niche that scratches an itch for some people. Which is why, if this is your genre, this is a ten out of ten movie. I, it's just not my genre. I don't know what to tell you. You know, and. Thus brings us to volume two, which I think if, like I said at the beginning, I struggled a little bit more with this movie because it is so tonally different from the first one. Mm-hmm. It's also 30 minutes longer and um, like takes a lot of time with its plot. This movie is now a plot heavy movie. Yeah. There's character development. There's so much dialogue. Um which I'm for, dude. The dialogue for me was always necessary. And there's flashbacks. Lots of them. And oh, my God. D- oh, dude. That is maybe my biggest gripe with this movie. Um, Is there's that scene in the first act where we finally meet. We don't meet Bill until the second movie. Right. And so we meet Bill. They do a whole sequence. Um. And then they show a flashback of Bill dropping off the bride at the dojo that is going to, like, train her to become a samurai assassin. And they, that flashback takes so long. Dude, it's like a 20-minute, it doesn't, I don't think it is, but it feels like a 20-minute flashback. You flashback for so long. That you forget where you left off until you go back and you're like, oh, yeah. And there's more than one, dude. I think if they took out the... Here's the thing. Flashbacks make movies feel longer because it interrupts the rhythm. It pulls you out from the story as you do something else. Basically, pulls you from one story, puts you in another movie, and then puts you back in the original movie. It's a lot. And they do it a few times. Yeah, and like there are some instances where it's it's easier to keep track. I was I don't think I was ever lost in where we were chronologically vis-a-vis the flashbacks and Right. I knew what was happening and, and when it was happening, but I'm just like what is going on? 
Because you, if you pull me away from a movie 20 minutes, it's going to take me a second to remember where we left off. But the movie starts off with a flashback. The yeah. movie starts off yeah, with the massacre at the wedding that kickstarts her whole vendetta arc. And right. I liked that scene. I think the introduction of Bill was a little clunky to the point where, like... You might have to correct me on this because you remember the details a little better than I do of like she introduces Bill to her fiance as like her pops or something like that. She uses like a paternal term about him. And there was something about the way she said it where I thought Bill was her dad. So when they get to the part where they talk about how like Bill is the father of her kid, I got real confused. Yeah, so she does come out, and she call they call Bill. Yeah, so you you hear that his name is Bill. Also, for watch we watched this movie back to back. The dude doing the voiceover in the first movie is the voice in the beginning of this movie. So when you meet him, you're like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. So I always knew, and I knew that like when she was calling him pops, I'm like, I it's all a cover. Um, so I that made sense to me. And I get that. And that's kind of why I was confused because I'm like, isn't Bill the father of the child? Now she's calling him pops. Now they're talking about the father of the child again. It was a little too like flip floppy. And the, the cover didn't yeah, she was just feel using secure. The- like I, w- I was just a little lost on that. But that's not the movie's fault. I'm willing to come to terms with like I could have done better on that. But mm-hmm. so but let me so tell to, you, so this, say, this movie had me hooked. When uh, she takes a shotgun to the chest. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, so she's not Superwoman. Like, she can kill a load of people, but you can catch her by surprise. And guns were the key from the beginning. Yeah. Because <laughs> she just gets shot. And, dude, that whole, like, her. I, I mean, we're spoiling stuff. It's whatever. Her getting buried alive, I got stressed, dude. I was like, yes, about, I'm like, I was putting myself in her shoes. I'd be like, I would be crying. I'd be crying. I'd be like, I'm going to run out of oxygen. I'm deep down. Um, it's dark out. So even if I, I wouldn't know how much further I have to go, you know, there's no light. It'd just be dark. You'd get out and still be dark. And you're thinking like the, uh, I was just stressed, bro. I was so stressed. Um, freaking yikes, this, man. this movie also has a lot more characters in this one than the second or than the first one. Right. Um, and I didn't love that. Okay. I um, did like that. So there's one character in particular that I was just kind of over the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, his is brother, Ellie? Bud. Oh, Dude, I freaking liked Bud. Audience, just that's like, the person who shoots her in the chest and then buries her a lot. Yeah, and so like I'm not saying he's not in like important and has cool scenes, but like every time he's in his trailer and someone is arguing with him about a sword, I'm just like, whatever. And then it doesn't like amount to anything. Um so I, mean, I it just sets up the sword fight that happens later. Um, because then they both have swords. Yes. And a movie is a movie and a movie's going to do what it wants to do. So I am right. not critiquing this movie for the path that it chose. That being said, 
they didn't need to swap swords to have a sword fight. Yes. Ellie could have been the one to like, like um, the bride could have had her sword, and then Elle just took Bud's sword. It didn't have to be this like game of musical swords that they were doing. Yeah, like it. I was it almost got to. It almost got to a point where it felt like the movie was more about the swords than killing each other. I was confused during the scene. I'm like, so who has what sword? Because also they were dropping swords. They were. It was a brawl at one point in time. I'm like, what is happening? There's a lot of violence, and maybe that was the whole point to be like, yo, it's a brawl. It's gonna get crazy. But I'm like, dude, I have no idea what's going on. It was now freaking- I want to make it clear. That is my favorite scene in this movie. I think that's I everyone's really- favorite scene, dude. That fight is crazy. So I really liked that scene. Um, because in lieu of the over-the-top action that the first movie had, this movie cements itself in like the gritty, brutal action. Like, slow, sluggish, realistic punches and stuff like that. Now, not to, not to say that there aren't elements of campy fighting in this movie, and I think that it really shows with the cinematography. Like, there are lots of shots that are from, like, the tips of people's swords. And, like, a lot of the camera work is following the swords more than the people. So I think that those are re- that's a really cool element to bring, um, especially since you know we don't get a lot of movies that are focused on martial arts fightings anymore, right. uh, even in the two thousands. So to have a movie that's like this is a sword based movie, we have to make sure that our camera focuses on the swords. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Yeah, dude. I mean, so that whole chapter is probably. I mean, that's everyone's favorite. I liked it. A lot. I think it is my favorite. Now that I'm thinking back to that movie. Um, it's hard not to think about the ending because, like, that's the change of pace and the huge tonal shift that, like, this movie. That's like I think what separates this movie from Volume One is that whole meeting with Bill at the house. That whole last yes. chapter. Is it the last chapter or second to last chapter? It's like completely different from the previous four hours of Kill Bill that you've watched. And I liked that scene. I liked that chapter. Um, It did, I think, kind of overstay its welcome in a movie that was already running a little long. Um, And I feel like I would not have had such a big complaint about how this movie ended if we kind of trimmed the fat in the middle of the movie. But like... A big pet peeve of mine when movies are divvied into chapters is they usually always tell you when it's the final chapter. And the final chapter is always sooner than you think it is. So I go into the... So it happened with this movie. Another example that I thought of was um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, When it introduces its final chapter, I'm like, all right, we got like... 15, 20 minutes to go. And the movie's like, nope, 40 minutes. Sit back down. Yeah, dude. It's, <laughs> I don't like chapters. I don't. I'm starting to realize that I don't think I do either. I don't like chapters because in my head, I'm thinking like, I'm anticipating when this chapter is going to end. I'm yeah. also like, it pulls me out of the movie to be like, wait, how much time has passed? How many chapters have we watched so far? I'm like, I don't even want to think about it. Keep me in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
There's a reason people take, when they're reading books, they take breaks on chapters. I don't want to take breaks during a movie. Keep me in it. I don't want to be reminded how much time is passing. I automat- I already check to see how much time is passing a movie four or five times. Like, don't make that easier for me. I don't know if other people do that, but I'm like, dude, I always, my first time I check is always 30 minutes. My brain just knows when the first yeah. 30 minutes has gone past. I hit it yep. every single time. Or it's between like 27 and 33 every single time. And then it gets a little less frequent. I check it when like something intense is happening. I got to know how much left I have. I'm like, dude, yeah. how much longer? Um, and I'm just, I just not a huge. The chapter move is stylistically, a th- it's a choice. It's just my least favorite choice. Um, So this is not the first Tarantino we've reviewed. Um, We did Django as our very first episode. Django Unchained is our very first episode. Have we done Tarantino since? We did Jackie Brown. We did Jackie Brown. Yes. Um, it, are those it? Is, it, That's is that all it, that dude. we've done officially? Okay. Uh-huh. Where does this sit in terms of introducing people to Tarantino? Because I think of the Tarantinos, there are objectively wrong choices to introduce people to. Like right. Hollywood, d- what are you doing? Yeah. Pulp Fiction, risky gambit. So, um, um, do you the choice is do you give them a movie that is the most that feels like Tarantino, so they get a sense of his style, or do you give them the most movie esque, so they can you can like slow roll it and be like, hey, yeah. let's ease you into it. Because if it's a matter of easing them into it, I feel like Kill Bill One is the easiest to get into. Yeah, it's either Kill Bill 1 or Django. Yeah. Um, I think as far as getting the Tarantino style, that'd be Pulp Fiction. That is the most Tarantino. There are now very few Tarantinos that I have not seen. Um, Tarantino was kind of, he's not a director that I avoid. It's just that I'm never in a rush to watch his movies. Well, there's also not um, that very many of them. Yeah, so like, there's nine. Yeah, so, you don't feel like you have to like. Oh, I have to do. If I do one a month, I'll gradually like. No, dude, you you could finish them this week if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. So I think the only ones that I'm missing at this point is a full watch of Pulp Fiction, okay, Death Proof, and Hateful Eight. Okay. I the only one I haven't seen is Death Proof. I've seen every other one. Um, I, I'm excited. Once we watch Death Proof. I'm going to straight up, I think, rank all of them on what I feel is my best, his, my favorite to hit to my least favorite of his. Um, I think, I mean, there's only 10. I mean, technically yeah. there's nine. If we count Kill Bill as one, which we don't have to, even if we don't, <laughs> there's only 10. Yeah. He's going to come out with one more. It, it would be easy. Every person that I've talked to about Tarantino's self-imposed 10 movie limit, everyone is like, why (laughs) no one i i think even in the industry you would have a hard time finding anyone that like when tarantino says i only want to do 10 movies i i don't know who is like yeah man that's the right choice i i don't know if it's the right choice but i get why he's doing it like he is scared that he's gonna overstay his welcome he's gonna start putting out bad movies he's like well i'll just put out 10 really good ones and then leave when people still want more, which is respectable. I know a lot of people who think they do that or want to do that and then come back out of retirement. Um, but he's also working on other projects. I think he's still down to write, just not direct movies. 
He's still, he's writing books. I think he's thought about TV shows. So he wouldn't be out of the industry. He's just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't care. You know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care either. But I also think that understanding Tarantino's, I don't want to call it an obsession. I'd probably call it closer to this fascination, this ideation of a legacy. I think understanding his concept of legacy does put a particular frame in a lot of his movies, specifically the Kill Bills. Like, Kill Bill is maybe his strongest, it is It is definitely his most successful, but it's definitely his one of his most blatant attempts at legacy. Um, yeah. The other one being Hollywood, obviously. Um, so, I don't think that looking at these movies through the frame of legacy that Tarantino wants us to really affects your enjoyment of the movie one way or another. But it's something interesting to talk about. Like when you look at it all um, in the grand scheme of his filmography. Right. Um, Yeah, dude. And I don't think he makes, I mean, we'll find out because we, there's a couple movies we haven't watched yet. I haven't seen a movie of his. That's bad. I've always thought like that movie was not for me. But like, yeah, people freaking so like Jackie Brown did not do well um, at coming off the heels of I think it was uh, it was either Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. It, was it would have been them. Pulp Fiction um, did not do well because people were anticipating more of that and they just didn't get it. And then Death Proof is people are very critical of Hateful Eight is one of his more forgettable. A lot of people don't mention that, even though it's one of the more recent ones. Um, but I don't think he puts out like trash, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Which is something to be said, like I might not put out a lot of movies and maybe they, none of them will change your life, which is debatable because some of his movies are fantastic, but like never missing is impressive. That's nuts actually. Yeah. So, um, to tie this all back into Kill Bill, um, at the end of the day, I honestly think that these movies also serve as a really strong, you know, like we were talking about easing into Tarantino as a director. These movies also do a good job at easing you into um, martial arts movies. Like, yeah, you could probably piggyback like um, a Bruce Lee movie after this. I was thinking the same thing. And so like, if you are the kind of person that has thought like, man, I want to watch some of those old fight all those older action movies Bruce Lee, but I Jackie don't Chan stuff there's I mean there's a lot out there and um, so if you're like I don't know where to start start with Kill Bill I guess <laughs> I mean here's my tricky thing is like do you start with one of the best ones and then you just get disappointed everywhere but I don't really think that is putting a strong impetus on your expectation of disappointment. Yeah. I think like, if you're like, I love the campiness, I love the cheesiness, I love that they're, then you won't be disappointed. Other movies are going to do that. But like, something that you and I bring to this podcast, something that I really like about the conversations that we have is putting our opinions on these movies in perspective to um, their, our expectations of them. Right. And, it has been noted time and time again that how we enjoy movies, it doesn't always pair up with uh, the expectation of a movie going into it. And I think that, sure, if you start with a great 
genre movie and you're like, I want to see more of this genre, you could watch the best movies that are rated for that and still be disappointed. But you could also watch a movie that everybody else doesn't like that you find appealing. And that's yeah. just, but that's just the nature of movies. If that's what you're afraid of, then just stop watching movies now. Yeah, only watch genres you know nothing about. And then you'll, um, you'll always be pleasantly yeah. surprised or mildly disappointed. So I, I am very excited because this summer I want to go and watch a bunch of um, older movies. Like I have a Kurosawa saga planned oh, out. Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, that I want to do this summer. And after watching this, like I am more excited to do that. So... And, and if I watch those movies and I don't like them, I'm not going to blame Kill Bill. I'm not going to write off the genre. Um, it's just, you know, I think that they are, you know, two independently notioned events. And whatever happens, happens. True, man. Um, do you have a rating for volume two? 8.25. Cool. Mine sits at a 6.75. Yeah, that's fine. I, I had a feeling because we... I mean, almost identical stores, uh, scores for volume one. Volume two, I'm like, here's the twist. He's going to make yeah. a movie <laughs> that's not like the first one, and it's either going to pay off or it's not, and it paid off for me and didn't for you. And I think across the board, people like the first one more than the second one. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, not by much. It might be negligible, but it has, on almost every review site, it is slightly better volume one uh, over volume two but i don't care i'm glad i got to watch these movies dude my month eight mile full metal jacket raging bull kill bill i mean great scores across the board eight yeah. miles a bit of a disappointment but we knocked that out first and then high scores since then for me so uh i really should have watched these movies earlier <laughs> but i'm glad we're doing it for content now all right alex what are we doing for our middle segment this middle segment is new it's called Help Wanted, and it is a super easy premise that you can do with your friends. Uh, Craig is my friend, so I'm going to do it with him, and you will catch on fast. I have five starters to kind of get your brain juices moving, um, and you'll understand quick. Would you rather Robert De Niro from Raging Bull or Robert De Niro from Taxi Driver? Which would you rather help you move? Oh, <laughs> hmm. It's not so much a who do I think would be better at helping me move. It's who do I want to be around for 10 hours? Yes. Robert um, De Niro from Raging Bull versus Taxi Driver. I'm going to say Raging Bull because like, I feel like the way I survive that situation is if like every like 45 minutes, I'm just like, yeah, your wife's a bitch, man. Like that's, a, and then we're good again. <laughs> like, My we thing set is the like timer. as long as there's no women around, we yeah. should be fine. <laughs> I was be like, hey, Macy, you're going to have to take, we're going to do all the moving without you. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. Don't come the around kids. the house. <laughs> Stay in the bedroom. <laughs> we'll do that last. You and his wife should go out and just enjoy your day. Go to the park. Go get coffee or something. Do not come around the house. <laughs> all right. Next one. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Django versus Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf on Wall Street. Who would you want? nannying your kids oh <laughs> mm, this one's tough it's tough because there's an obvious answer i just feel bad for saying it um I mean, and it is the leonardo dicaprio from django yeah he'll 
take care of you. He's in a great yeah. position to take care of you. Also, yes. he's not going to leave quaaludes around the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it'd be, I think my kids could get away with it. Um, just because they're, they're lighter than me. But we'd have some problems. We'd have problems. It wouldn't look good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe Samuel L. Jackson and Django is taking care of your kids. Yeah, but he's scarier, actually. Yeah, he's actually okay. scarier. Uh, Denzel Washington in Equalizer versus Liam Neeson in Taken. Who would you want to be best friends with your dad? Um, probably. Ooh. So I'm not as familiar with Taken as I am with Equalizer. Right. I feel like does Liam Neeson's character have like. A troubled past, or is he just good at what he does? I think he's good at what he does, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. He's kind of like the John Wick, like, I'm retired, I don't do this anymore, and now I have to then come back br- and do it. But Denzel's got, like, baggage. Yeah. <laughs> he's a so, loner. <laughs> so probably Liam Neeson in Taken, because, like, <laughs> the first Equalizer movie is, it, like, he's pretty begrudging to get back to his root to like do what he does again in the second one it like someone breathes wrong and he's like huh i gotta get back out there i guess yeah i'll go out in the <laughs> middle of a hurricane and start shooting people that's fine <laughs> um, sandra bullock in the blind side versus sandra bullock in the you know one blindfolded movie on netflix that i can't remember bird box <laughs> yeah bird box which one would you want to be best friends with your mom um Probably blindside Sandra Bullock, just because I feel like Bird Box Sandra Bullock, like, even if we look at, like, Bird Box Sandra Bullock's before the, like, apocalypse happened. Yeah. Um, I feel like there wasn't as much going on. She, all I remember from Bird Box before the apocalypse is she spent a lot of that movie arguing with Sarah Paulson. Yes, and that is true. <laughs> She spends a lot less time arguing in the blind side. So I'm going to go with the blind side. All right. And then the last one I have prepped before we start winging it. Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern <laughs> versus Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Who do you want as your private security, your bodyguard? Oh, what a great question. I'm going to go Green Lantern purely because Deadpool is a little too much of a loose cannon for me. <laughs> yeah. He's a little too whimsical. He might just like get drunk the day before. <laughs> I'm like, nah, I'm not yeah. calling into work. What are you going to do? Also, like, um, he's not worried about dying. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that could be a problem. <laughs> um. All right. Let me pull one up for you. Who would you rather be adult friends with? Okay. Seth Rogen in Neighbors or Mark Wahlberg in Ted? Freaking yikes. I feel like... So, assuming Seth Rogen and Neighbors, I don't get Rose Byrne. And assuming Mark, Ro- I mean, Mark Wahlberg and Ted, I don't get Ted. I feel like you would. Because, like, being adult friends with someone, you also... You, I get to hang out with the at- other person. I get to hang out with the people they hang out with. Sure. Then Seth Rogen, dude, all the way. Okay. Because Ted would be You're fun. Seth- but, like, not because I get to hang out with Mark Wahlberg. You're using Seth Rogen as an in for Rose Byrne. Yeah, 100%. Not even. <laughs> yeah, dude. Absolutely. Um, Gerard Butler, three, uh, Gladiator. No, Gerard Butler, 300. Russell Crowe, Gladiator. Which one of them um, to fight in a duel on your behalf? I think Russell Crowe because 
I think Gerard Butler, I think, what's his name? Leonidas. Leonidas. I think he's a great general, but I think um, Russell Crowe did a better job, like, being a fighter. Yeah, in combat. Also, he has gladiator experience, one and 1v1, 1v crazy numbers. Kind of makes sense. Okay, Daniel Craig in the Knives Out movies. Okay. Or Ryan Reynolds in Detective Pikachu. Who would you rather solve your own murder? Ooh, I'm going Daniel Craig, dude. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. <laughs> He is, but I do like the image of like a grizzled old Pikachu, like looking over like a warm corpse, just being like, we got to find out who did this, man. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like, remember in Glass Onion when they set up that murder mystery dinner party and he figures it out in two minutes and asks for an iPad? Yeah. I'm like, that's, oh, that's a magic trick, bro. That is sure. so impressive. I feel like I have to do that. Um, I mean, yeah. Who would you rather your kids get to be friends with? The Spy Kids or Sonic? And okay. we'll, give, we'll give you Tails and Knuckles as well. So uh, before you even threw me the softball of a franchise I cared about, I knew it wasn't going to be the Spy Kids because the Spy Kids are spoiled brats. <laughs> they are whenever I don't watch those movies often. The last time I watched a Spy Kids movie was for the podcast two years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just, I, I look at Alexa Pina Vega and she is just so bratty in a way that like I could never fully sign on board with. And you don't think that she's bratty because they introduce um, the Characters other that kids. are worse. <laughs> Yeah, like the Emily Osment and her brother. Like, they are supposed to be the spoiled. They're the Nepo babies. Yeah. But people forget that the Cortezes are also Nepo babies. Yeah, they're the number twos to their number ones. It's like, <laughs> hey, guys, this battle for the top 0.0001% is a little nauseating. <laughs> so... Sure, man. Let him hang out with freaking Sonic. He'll teach him how to run I, better than I ever could. It, it's like beef between Bill Gates and Elon Musk. You're like, hey, man, we're we're losing. We're we're <laughs> yeah. all losing. God, I'm just like having a bad time. Um, who? This one's a little genre bending, so stick with me on this one. No worries. Um, who would you rather be a private? On, you know, a respective private on whose ship? Um, on Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow's ship or Chris Pine's Captain Kirk's Enterprise? Captain Kirk, dude. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Depp is going to get me killed, bro. <laughs> Straight Jack, up. Jack Sparrow like... <laughs> goes through ships like nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> there are six people that survive those movies, and it's because they have plot armor, yeah. and that's it. There's also, those two, those two have... guys, like the the one of them that has like the rolling eye gag, yep. <laughs> like him and his friend. There is no reason they should have survived as long as they did. Also, if I died, there would be no remorse whatsoever. He'd be like, it, he, he probably wouldn't even remember my name. Yeah, cost of doing business. Yeah, so definitely not that. Um, all right, who's your driver? Baby driver or Bumblebee? 
What a great question. Um, I'm gonna say Bumblebee purely because um Baby Driver is a little too much of a hopeless romantic for me to trust him behind the wheel. <laughs> that guy will risk it all for the wrong reasons. <laughs> but also, like, if you like getting in an Uber and not talking to the driver, one listens to the music and one chats to you the entire time through the radio. Yeah, that's that's also fair. Um, also, but I, I yeah. mean, the other one's an alien. And, you know, and the other one's a good driver. I think I might yeah. be leaning towards baby driver for this one. Actually, I mean, Bumblebee movies. I think I have to go Bumblebee, which is the dumber decision, but it's the more fun. Um, I also, one, this, I also um, uh, don't know why, but I didn't expect you to say Bumblebee. I expected you to say freaking Pete Davidson, um, uh, Mirage. Oh. And my answer would still be Mirage. Like, I, yeah, I know. I, w- I mean, I would much rather hang out with Mirage than Bumblebee. But this I don't know true. if that's because Bumblebee yeah. stinks or I've just, I mean, I've been around him too much. He's getting too familiar. I kind of want to hang out with the new guy. Sure. But it is what it is. Um, <laughs> I'll get, I got one more for you. Which family would you rather be in? Um, the Sky High family or the Incredibles? I knew, when you said what family would you rather be in, I knew the Incredibles was going to be an option. That's crazy because my first thing I was gonna do a Fast and Furious one. So, <laughs> oh, dude, that's crazy. I should have said it so you knew I wasn't lying, but I'm just, you just have to trust me. I'm gonna go okay. Incredibles. Um, um, because Kurt, I mean, both dads are temperamental. Um, yeah, but uh, I want, yeah. I want siblings. Uh, and, yeah. And I don't like the overlapping superpowers of Sky High. That family. okay? Sure. I mean, because you're gonna get your dad and your mom's. And then, but the Incredibles, they all have their own thing, you know? But I, I feel I like, like correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that an anomaly? Like, none of the other kids in Sky High have their parents' powers. Or or maybe they don't open the world enough to um, let us come to that conclusion one way or another. But, like, at no point was I like, ah, yes, Daniel Panabaker's parents also have plant powers. But I think for how much... Kurt Russell was rooting for his son to have super strength. It must have it was a been normal. Enough. It must have been normal. Because sure. okay. yeah, um, he because he was like throwing weights on him and dr- yeah. and then yeah. when he was getting superpower tested, they dropped a car on his face. So it must have been relatively normal for your parents to pass something down. All uh, right. That being said, that was help wanted. It's a middle segment, kinda, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it'll be back. All right. This week. For our one hit wonder, we're doing a TikTok trend, which we haven't done in a hot minute. Love it. Um, This one is going to be a subtitle called, I also think we have another one hit wonder called fake it till you make it. So I'm yes. blending <laughs> both of those together. Okay. So if you didn't know, a lot of the podcast clips that you see on TikTok are fake. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but if you ever see two guys that are talking at each other, and one of them is way more put together, and one of them is like nodding along and listening. It's because it's a fake clip. Um, they and by fake clip he means cutting them out of order and splicing stuff so it, so uh, it's more no, no, entertaining. No. I mean rehearsed. Like oh. podcasts go out of their way to like have Make- kind of a topic on hand, and like sh- if you go to the actual podcast, I'm sure like the 
podcast will have more information on that subject. But like podcasters will be like, all right, before we record the episode or after we record the episode, let's sit down and record the clips. You know, let's truncate it and make the clip version of this. So that's what we are going to do. I'm going to. So, so I'm going to suggest a few common podcast clip topics um, that you and I can riff off each other on to kind of come across with that whole um, podcast. We're going to channel our podcast bro energy harder than ever. And we're just going to. The goal is to go viral. Yes. Um, the first thing that we obviously need to talk about is um, we got to talk about AI. So um, let, let's take a minute to think about like the things that we need to talk about for AI. You know, we got to talk about how it's innovation. We got to talk about that it's okay that people are going to like lose their jobs over it. We got to talk about like, you know, no podcast talks about AI in a negative light. All right. So we got to like get that get that vibe going hard okay get get the negative so we're trying to be the only negative voice or we're going to be like everybody else and not take it negative i think we gotta t i think we gotta blend in with the podcast bros okay 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 don't go negative <laughs> got it <laughs> holy smoke this we just brought back the improv segment that's what just happened yeah I my brain hey. is freaking stalling <laughs> It's just like, hey, hey. Th that's what happens when you do a one hit. Okay. Sometimes we get a little loosey goosey with it. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Did you see the new headline about AI? Apparently all AI jobs are going to be cemented into the workforce by 2026. Which is crazy. And it really makes you think like, what's going to happen to those jobs that were like illegal? Are those also going to get taken by AI? I think that the illegal jobs are going to be become legal with the use of AI because we're not putting any like humanistic mind power behind it. Then there's no, going to be no harm, no foul. I mean, I already have my house filled with AI. So like, I don't see why our entire society just shouldn't be filled to the brim with it here. Let me pull up this article I found on X. Um, and I don't have to worry about the ads because I have X premium. And if you want X premium as well, you can go to xpremium.com backslash um, the boys podcast TM 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 uh, and get three months of X premium on us. Now, back to what we were talking about with AI. Um, do you think your dad ever loved you? Because I don't know if mine did. Well, I asked ChatGPT that the other day and uh, guaranteed it and actually laid out 10 reasons why most dads love their kids. So... I mean, thanks to AI, I've I've actually have had answers to questions from my dad, who's no longer around. And I just want to say that you know, if my dad loved me or not, that's not the point because Chat GPT does. And as long as and it's not going away anytime soon. There's no malfunctions. Um, Chat GPT is my new dad. Yeah, just put in the qualities you would like in a dad, and they'll give you advice advice based off those personality traits. So. I put in, my dad yelled at me a lot as a kid. And ChatGPT, I didn't even know this was a feature it had, started yelling at me. It accessed my speakers without my permission and just started yelling at me. And I couldn't turn it off. And I'm going to be honest, I got a little scared for my life. But that's the future. You know, this is what Elon wants for us. And I'm willing to take whatever he's got. Yeah, there's literally no downside. Um, I mean, 
worst. I mean, this is really worst case scenario. Um, we have a little Age of Ultron situation. But, but they fixed it. Yeah, they dude. fixed it. We'll have the good AI create us superheroes, and then we really have nothing to worry about. I would love for Avengers to just be real. Yeah. So in order for the Avengers to be real, we need Neuralink. Now, um, have you gotten your neur- your Neuralink beta code yet? Um, I think I think we have a link to that using our podcast code, don't we? Yeah, so if you go to Neuralink.com slash the boys TMTMTM, then you can get a three-month free trial of Neuralink. Now, you will still have to pay for the surgery and the installation. And but it is in beta. Like, it is so. in beta. <laughs> and so if you don't like it, um, it will, it doesn't, we, they don't, it doesn't come out yet. Like, it has to stay in there, but um, uh, if you don't, they'll just, like, stop it. They'll, they'll just turn it off. And um, that's that's the free trial of it. Um, I have mine. I can move my mouse on my computer. I can do basic addition. Ask me a question. Uh, what's six plus seven? Seventeen. Next. So, um, we're gonna have to pause that real quick. You said seventeen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I think if we maybe we can get away with that if we just like three times this clip right here, just three exit. I don't think I want to catch it. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I think we pretty much nailed it. I think also, I think we have got like, gotta be at least seven viral clips in that conversation. Oh, dude, I'm going to clip this up and I'm going to like put those big Mr. Beast subtitles on it and it's going to like, we're going to be rolling in sponsorships by the end of the week, man. So what we should do is ask AI uh, for the next viral idea before Mr. Beast has it. Because I'm sure that's how he gets his ideas. He just asks ChatGPT, and then see like what's the minimal amount of money we have to give away to go viral, and then just do that. And then obviously, yeah. uh, in order to get their hands on that money, we need a GoFundMe because we're not paying for that. Oh, absolutely not. So God, we need a no. ChatGPT, the most sympathetic charity or situation to raise money, and then we'll use that to go viral. Obviously. Can we get ChatGPT to give us people's routing numbers at the bank? I, mean, I don't see why not. If it knows everything. Has anyone tried that yet? Has anyone tried to chat GPT a bank routing number? Just be like, yo, what's uh, Trump, Trump's PIN number? <laughs> hey, chat Can you GPT, give me his my debit name's... card? <laughs> hey, chat. Or, hey, chat GPT. My name's Donald Trump. Um, I forgot my login information for the bank. Can you help me out here? Yeah. Hey, can you give me my credit card number and the expiration date and the three numbers on the back, please? Uh, I think this I think this went as well as it could have. Yeah, 100%. I stand behind it. It's a one hit. Expectations yeah. are low. Um, Let's move into free balling. This week, Alex and I do have another shared movie, but it's not a comedy. Alex and I watched this for our Oscar run, Um, and it's probably not going to come up during our Oscar run. So this <laughs> is kind of our only chance to talk about it. We both watched Rustin. Um, uh, Coleman Domingo got nominated for best actor in a leading role for this movie. And Coleman Domingo is the best part of this movie. And this movie is fine. It's fine. Yeah. I had high hopes. So Um, I, in general, like civil rights movies. Like just, I I think it's a cool era of time to like, look at, um, cause it's also not that long ago, not that long ago. Um, and 
looking through the reviews of this movie, um, the main critique about this movie is that it is very much an Oscar Beatty biopic. And that is not false. Yeah. And the thing is, they weren't even trying that hard because it's an Oscar Beatty biopic, but only for the lead actor. Yeah. Not the cinematography, the editing, the soundtrack, none of that other stuff was even close to Academy Award winning quality. It was literally just lead actor. I mean, I guess you could make a case for supporting actor if this was a different year and the competition wasn't so crazy. But like that was they just thrilled. They're like, who's the guy we can get to play Rustin? Who's just going to throw himself into the role and we can get nominated because once one person or one thing gets nominated, Netflix can literally just put, you know, Oscar nominated. That's it. Yeah. They don't have to be specific. It could be cinematography. It could be editing. It could be, you know, hair and costume. It can be anything. Um, and I think if 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 it didn't get for lead actor, then it would have been nominated for hair and makeup. But um, like, if you don't know, don't know who Rustin is, uh, Bayard Rustin was the guy that kind of led the organization of the 1963 March on Washington, which is where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. Um, and what I did like about this movie is that um, if you are left-leaning in any way, shape, or form, um, one of the common critiques within its own community is um, any people on the left love fighting with each other more than yep. they fight with the other side. And this movie showcases that so eloquently. Yeah, it just it um, felt like a competition of how liberal are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that hasn't gone away. Um, and you're all they're also like trying to gain support. They're like, listen, we need the most moderate liberal person if we're gonna get I mean, the goal was to get 100,000 people. They did more than that. But like, we need to appeal to as many people as humanly possible. And this, I love, I love movies that are based on a true story. And they show you the not so glamorous side of very glamorous people. Uh, in this situation, Martin Luther King. Yeah. The dude just like straight up said, just accepted his reg- resignation, said, hey, I'll see you later. Because there were vague rumors that they were more than friends. Yeah. So Rustin was like, uh, I'll just resign and he's going to stop my resignation, prove that we're actually friends. And Martin Luther King was just like, thank you for your service. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> um, this movie does have some cool scenes in it, which is kind of the reason why I like this movie, I think more than other people did, is I liked this movie's presentation of collaboration. Like, there's a really cool scene at the beginning of the movie where everyone's just in a room with a big piece of paper on the board, and everyone's just, like, taking turns leading this brainstorming session. And it was done in such, like, a really cool and engaging manner that I was excited and accepting to pretty much whatever else this movie had to give me. Um, I don't know if I liked that part. I didn't, for me, I didn't know what i was more interested in the movie is more about rustin or maybe it isn't i don't know if it was more about the event or the person i was very interested in the event and i think that's the whole reason people buy into this movie is like everyone knows of the event no one knows behind no one knows the person behind it yeah however i wanted to know more details about it (laughs) yeah and the actual event is four minutes yep and i'm like well this kind of stinks. 
Um, so I don't think um, I, I would be surprised if this movie got recognition on the 10th, um, yep. which is why we're talking about it now. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't a waste of my time. I think, you know, if you're going to watch an annual civil rights movie, like, you know, there usually is about one big civil rights movie a year. Um, and if this one was that for you, then you could do worse. Yeah, you could um, do worse. I would ask you why, but you could do worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm giving this one letter or not letterbox. IMDB has this at a six and a half. And I agree with that. I think six and a half is like, it's good. I liked it. It's kind of surface level. There's some good character moments. Um, I enjoyed it, but like not a bunch. Uh, it's going to be, I think I got to go flat six for this guy. Sure. Yeah. It just, the market is saturated, dude. It is. With yeah. Civil rights movies. So I'm just like, maybe this in and of itself would be higher, but I'm like, I know there's so many other options. I like more than this. That is, it's going to have to be a six just because competition is tight. All right. Um, I want to talk about LA confidential. Go for it, man. Because this is a movie that's just been on Netflix for ages. Um, sure. It's got Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce as, uh, I mean, the main one of the main characters. Kim uh, Basinger, Danny DeVito, David Stratham. I mean, great cast. And it's a murder mystery slash, like, noir movie. And it's so good, dude. <laughs> Let me ask you this question off the rip. Is sure. it the kind of movie where if you know who did it, it ruins the fun? Um, no. Because then you'd be wondering, like, when is everyone else going to find out? Okay. So, yeah. Because there is a point in the movie where we know who it is and other people haven't figured it out yet. So knowing who it is earlier wouldn't completely throw off the movie. Because you find out, like, the end of the second act. So if you just knew it in the beginning, it wouldn't mess it up for you. Um. It's not one of those that's going to completely throw you off guard. Like, I don't like that in movies where it's a murder mystery and they, at the beginning, they're just like, who would be the least obvious? Like, who would be impossible? And then they just somehow frame the story so it ends up being that person. That is not the case. This movie is like, it makes sense why it would be this person. It makes sense. But how, why, when are other people going to find out? That's all super cool. Also, everyone in this is really good guy pierce plays a such an unlikable character <laughs> um kevin spacey's character is awesome kind of similar to other characters he has played in the past though like all variations of the same like suave i know everything really confident guy um and then russell crowe is a freaking loose cannon of a police officer dude <laughs> that dude just is willing to throw hands whenever and just the dynamic between the three of them is awesome it's just like interesting and engaging and there's stuff happening and this is one of those movies where like the details matter you have to be paying attention and uh it pays off freaking 1997 hit dude and i've seen this poster for ages so i'm glad i got to finally watch it good Uh, i'm gonna give it eight flats Mm. maybe a seven seven five but like you know what i mean so about uh two and a half years ago um Back, it was an episode where Andrew was one of the guests on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about a movie trailer that came out for the intro of the podcast that week. Um, and that trailer was for a movie called Wolf. Mm-hmm. And we spent, 
you know, the intro of the podcast, poking fun at it, teasing it a little bit. Um, I finally got around to watching it and hey gang, it is bad. Hey <laughs> guys, it's bad. Uh, yeah, um, I've been seeing Wolf come up a lot. None of, no one has anything good to say. Um, I watched it with, um, some of my buddies with, albeit the intention of poking fun of at it while we were watching it. This movie didn't have a lot to make fun of. Not because it was good, but because there was not, there, there was no material. Okay. Um, So if you don't remember us talking about that trailer, um, this movie takes place at a facility that treats people with species identity disorder. People that genuinely believe that they are of a different species other than human. Um, and George McKay, who you might remember as um, the guy who you didn't expect to be the lead character of 1917. Yep. Um, and Lily Rose Depp, Johnny Depp's daughter. Um, and so George McKay is uh, a guy who thinks he's a wolf and Lily Rose Depp is a girl who thinks that she's a wildcat. And so they, the conceit of this movie is that they have this forbidden romance between a wolf and a cat in this facility that's designed to break their spirit. Um, and I don't think that this movie is a commentary on like what it's like to be someone with SID. If it is, it's a bad one. Um, it's just the I was looking through the reviews to try to figure out what positive things people were saying about it, because people review this movie higher than I do. And I wanted to see why yep. um, a lot of it was praising the cinematography, which like I will give it to an extent because the cin- there were times where the cinematography was not related to what was going on. Sometimes they would do establishing shots Almost like a sitcom, you know, like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they show the exterior of the precinct. Um, They would do stuff like that, and it would be gorgeous. It'd be a beautifully well-shot frame. Um, It it would just be like a tree or some bushes, and not even like near the facility, just a tree. And I'm like, guys, what are we doing here? Oh, jeez, man. (laughs) The romance that I told you was the plot of this movie kind of doesn't even kick in until like 40 minutes in. And even then, it's pretty bare bones. It goes from zero to 100 pretty quick. Um, There's, like, some side characters that are interesting to watch purely because you get to see psychological treatment performed on somebody. And just, like, by the nature of that, you know, that's kind of interesting and engaging. Um, But our main characters are cardboard cutouts, man. Like, it's rough. Um, so I really, yeah. Um, I don't love bashing movies as hard as I'm bashing this one. It's one of those movies where if I meet George McKay, I just have to be like, love you in 1917. Man, I loved 1917. Um, but dude, this one's like a two and a half. Like, I'm not joking. I thought we were in letterbox (laughs) scores for a second because it's two and a half. No. Uh, well, um, I guess I'll go to mine. I, uh, much like you, I have had a uh, recent run-in where I am low-balling a lot of movies that people say are great. However, I watched Weekend at Bernie's, 
And I like this movie more than everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Weekend at Bernie's is like the anti-mom movie. Like if any mom likes this movie, I need to meet them because who are you? Yeah, it's deaf. I mean, it's the here's the thing. The premise is so well known in the zeitgeist that you everyone knows what it is about without knowing anything about the movie. It's two idiots. Try to pretend that their murdered employer is still alive. But the hitman, because he, the employer, wanted them to get hit, like knocked off, and the hitman killed him instead for making a mistake that these two guys could catch. And then because the guy is rich, these guys carry around a dead body for a weekend and convince everyone they're still alive so they could party at his place. And that's the whole movie. How long is Bernie alive for? 25 minutes. It's longer Whoa. than you would think. It is longer yeah. than you would think. It's the entire first act. The first act ends um, with him getting got and the guy showing up. So, yeah. like, you'd think it's only an hour. It's, a, it's an hour and 37 minute movie, an hour of him being dead. Yeah, that's interesting. So, it's it goes on longer than you think. Because you're just waiting for that thing to happen. The thing that everybody knows, you're just waiting for that to happen. It's like watching Inception and waiting for the dream part to start. So, like... I was waiting for it to happen. It's just the movie's funny, dude. I mean, I know he's just a dead body, but Terry Kaiser, who is Bernie Lomax, dude, his the physical comedy's insane. And then the two friends, their names are uh, Lar or Larry, Lair and Richard, um, played by Jonathan uh, Silverman and Andrew McCarthy. Dude, the jokes are just hilarious. And everyone's like, well, it's just the same joke over and over again. It's a dead body. A lot of people... Just mistaking him for being alive because these guys are moving around and making him seem alive. I'm like, yeah, but and they're it's funny. funny. <laughs> it's funny. I don't care if it's the same joke over and over again. If they just word it differently, it's still funny. Uh, the, I mean, skipping to the score, I'm giving it a seven and seven point seven five. The part I yeah, didn't dude. like is they shove, excuse me, they shove like a romance arc in there. Uh, okay. And yeah, it's kind of necessary for this movie. The movie came out in 1989. You kind of need something for the girls to watch this for. Um, But they didn't give it enough merit for it to scratch that itch. It's actually like almost disrespectful how they treat this woman. (laughs) So like, (laughs) hey man, next time just don't include her. I know you're trying to give a little something for everybody. This girl is just above an afterthought. Sure. Yeah. Like you thought of it for a god or for a while and then wrote her back in. That's how it feels. So, I don't know. I It's literally just for the jokes, dude. I watched this and then Caddyshack. Uh, the same thing. It's uh, it's a whole lot of nothing movie. But the jokes are funny, so I loved it. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I watched Drive Away Dolls. I was very excited for this movie. I've seen uh, ads for this everywhere, dude. So, if you don't know, Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen used to be a directing duo. They, were, they are brothers. Um. And then they did No Country for Old Men, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Ballad yeah. of Buster Scruggs. Insane. Um, and then after Buster Scruggs, they separated. I don't know if it's permanent or if they just wanted to try, try it out. Um, in 2021, Joel Cohen made a movie called um, The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is like Oscar nominated, Artur, Denzel led, like, like, a f- like filmy, filmy. 
Um, and then Ethan Cohen made the corniest lesbian comedy one could ever <laughs> dream up. So I personally have a favorite Cohen brother. That's funny, um, dude. I yeah, I couldn't tell you the difference. I didn't know they made several movies. Um, so Ethan Cohen, I think my favorite part of Cohen movies are the dialogue. I think they make amazing dialogue. Um, I can tell you, Ethan Cohen was writing the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie is just so witty and charming and um unapologetic and also 80 minutes like it is it is like these if you were to do what you are doing 10 years from now like this movie would be on that list um just like it is a this is like an homage to 80s comedy movies it is just so pure in that fact now that being said it's not perfect um i think the chemistry between the two leads it's close but not quite there um margaret qualley plays like the spunky sexually active like um kind of friend that like your mom would warn you about kind of person right yeah okay um and then geraldine viswathen plays like the wants to go to a nice college very well, or maybe what she did go to a nice college, very well studied, worked at an office, like stick in the mud, so to speak. Okay. And th- like I said, they're, they're just a little too far apart in what they bring to this movie to really make it like super click. But the jokes to their core are funny enough to where it kind of breaks through anyway. Um, There are some artistic choices that this movie makes that I don't necessarily agree with. Just like there are lots of, um, remember in Oppenheimer when like the movie would like depict physics happening in his head as yep. like fireworks kind of bouncing around. Oh, you mean like the um, Jimmy Neutron brain blast? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Imagine that, but LSD. Oh man. Dude. So th- there were several sections of this movie that was just like LSD mind visions. And it got to the point where I'm like, how many times do we got to do this, Ethan? Um, so like, it's not perfect, but as far as just like a perfectly laughable comedy, like it, it is a breath of fresh air. Um, if you liked bottoms, this movie kind of pairs hand in hand in that. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I got a good theatrically released comedy. Um, so like seven and a half for me, dude, not too bad. Yeah. Not too bad. Um, did we want to hit one more or call it a day? I'm gonna call it a day. I'm gonna give the audience a little, okay. So I have watched, let me check as of recording this podcast, I've watched 94 movies and of my 118 total comedies, I've watched 30 of them. I'm 25% done. I'm worried about him. It's wild. And the, here's what I here's what is scaring me. I'm picking up pace. I'm going faster in February than I was in January. So, I here's what I'm genuinely afraid of. I don't get addicted to substances. I think I'm I'm actually developing a problem. Yeah. I was waiting to get burnt out. I think it's worse. I think I'm becoming dependent on this. <laughs> like I think this is I think this is bad. I am stuffing the the slow 
and boring parts of my life with a movie when I should just be able to, you know, sit and sit. exist. <laughs> I am losing my ability to do that. Just kind of look at a wall for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, breathe. <laughs> Think about my kids. Uh. Eat. The basics. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's becoming an issue. That being said, stats are through the roof, bro. <laughs> yeah, insane. man. It's crazy. Like, I'm going to get a call from Macy in the next three to six months that's like, Craig, can you, like, put the podcast on hiatus? He needs to take a break. Yeah, dude. We're uh, doing one podcast a week, and uh, I think we're on, like, week eight or nine now. Um, yeah. We it's, could, a, it's such a small fraction of the movies I'm watching that cutting out the podcast movies doesn't even make a difference. If we both didn't have full-time jobs, we probably would have started something else by now. Yeah, it'd, uh, it'd be wild. Um, but anyway, that's the audience. That's a little catch-up on my comedy journey. My uh, New Year's resolution of getting through, you know, 100-plus of the best comedies pre-2010. Um, I'm chugging along. Haven't stopped yet. Next week, we are bringing back Old Reliable She's our favorite. We genuinely look forward to her every year. It is Decades Month. That is a month where we start in the 40s and every week we progress 10 years and talk about a prominent movie from that decade. Um, This week, we are starting in our 40s. In the 40s, we are talking about Gaslight. I don't. This is one of those movies that I don't know if it's culturally popular, but it coined... One of the most prominent words of the 2020s that there's no way we can't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a shot. I mean, it came out in 1944. The reviews are good. So even if it's not like popular, I'm like, it's a good movie. Why not? Let me get let's go back to arts uh, film school, you know, and let's get let's get educated. Um, but until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mom I said hi. See you next week. It's a little silly that you didn't mention that you're an alpha second time around, but deuces. I didn't need to. They remember. Sure they did. All right, see you later, guys.